Hello and welcome to the Privacy Path. Today we're discussing COVID-19 tracing apps uh, with our usual um, privacy laws and business slant towards the uh, data protection and privacy issues that uh, that they raise. Um, joining, uh, I'm Tom Cooper, the Deputy Editor of PL&B Publications and the producer of this podcast. And uh, joining me today are Laura Linkomis, who's Editor of uh, data, uh, Privacy Laws and Biz Business Publications. Uh, she's uh, been following this. She's been following this um, story from a news point of view. So we're going to get updates from her about what the latest is. And also joining us is uh, Helena Wooten, data lawyer and PLMB correspondent. And Helen is uh, going to give us some of the uh, sort of outlines of the legal issues around uh, uh, that these sorts of apps raise. So I might just um, firstly throw over to, to Laura. I noticed Boris Johnson said in uh, Parliament on the 24th of June, this is the UK Parliament for your international listeners, um, that no country currently has a functioning track and trace app. Now, discuss that point, Laura. Well, it's been a very, very tricky issue for all of the governments um, globally. Of course, this is an unprecedented situation and, and governments have to react very, very quickly. So we first heard some really positive signs from Singapore, but I gather that actually it's not been such a success uh, in the end. And um, in Europe, there's been various different developments. So the model that's proving the most popular is the so-called Google Apple model, which is um, based on the decentralized system. Now, that's been provided uh, to 22 countries, and some countries, such as Germany, um, quickly changed their mind. They were developing a centralized tracking app, but uh, now are going with the Google app model, and the same situation is now happening in the UK. So we can just see that it's a very, very difficult technological thing to get right, because we are not just only looking, of course, the technology, but the privacy issues. We are looking at um, other human rights issues. We are looking at uh, whether people would be even willing to use such an app. There's just so many different uh, aspects to consider that um, I really wouldn't want to be in the shoes of the app developers, to be honest. Uh, Okie doke. So um, I know I noticed that the MIT Technology Review is sort of trying to keep tra tabs on all the different developments, and they sort of list 25 countries at the moment in in various states of um, development or or release of those apps. So um, I, I might post that link on our social media after the podcast, so uh, you can have a look at that. But that's actually quite a good resource, and you can um, uh, subscribe to. Uh, you don't have to subscribe to that. You can read. A small number of articles on there for free. Um, so Laura's um, outlined a few of the sort of deployment problems there, Helena. But uh, thinking sort of as a bit of a layman in this area, I sort of see these apps and I just think of all sorts of privacy problems. I mean, what uh, data retention issues, consent issues, special category data. I mean, it's a it's a sort of a bit of a legal minefield, isn't it? Potentially, yes, Tom. You're absolutely right, and. Um, there are a number of key issues to think about, and I can run through those. Interestingly, yesterday I was listening to an um, an interview with Anne Kavukian, who is the queen of uh, privacy by design, um, and she was really impressed by the Google Apple app. She'd been contacted actually by by both um, to 
show her they wanted to show her and get her reassurance that it was it was okay the app was okay from a from a privacy perspective so I'm, I'm assuming that she will have looked at the seven uh, principles of uh, privacy by design when looking at, at that which every business needs to do when they're developing a, a similar piece of technology um, so the, the privacy issues that you've highlighted already Tom include um, consent is consent the lawful basis for this uh, the processing of individuals data clearly there'll be health data uh, will it identify an individual we don't know but presumably yes because the app will be on someone's phone and someone's device um, so if consent is used I noticed on my Apple phone I have on my health app I already have um, a COVID tracking potential um, it's with a, a switch on and a switch off so I, I didn't consent to that going onto my phone but I would have to consent before collection of data so that's that's one thing to think about but to what extent do the authorities need to get consent uh, as the lawful basis clearly being transparent with individuals uh, one of the key principles of GDPR principle one is about transparency making sure everyone's aware of what's happening with their data you mentioned data retention, how long will authorities keep the data and for what purpose? Will they keep it for many years to do research on the spread of the disease? Uh, we're not told, we assume not. Um, what about controllership? Who is the controller? Um, and that will come on to, uh, in, in the future, we'll be talking about controllership, especially when um, we go back to the lockdown uh, measures of being being lifted somewhat when pubs, clubs, restaurants, bars have to start recording the people who are going in and out of their establishments. Um, they'll become controllers overnight without really wanting to be. Um, but back to the, the data protection issues, data retention, minimization. Can you anonymize or pseudonymize, so codify individuals um, so that they're not identified? And security. I think a lot of campaigners always concerned about hacking. Um, to what extent are these apps secure? Um, and interoperability as well. I know the EDPB, so the European Data Protection Board, they have talked about sharing data across Europe, across the authorities. So that interoperability of the apps is, is really key. And obviously that throws up other issues about data sharing and security. So yeah. A lot to think about from a privacy perspective. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that actually about the data sharing. What's interesting in the UK is that if and when we eventually get the app, which may not be ready now before the winter, it's still up to discussion whether Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland would actually also take up this system. If they don't, then I don't see it's going to be very useful in our setting. Yeah, there has to be um, a kind of critical mass of people, if you like, downloading it to, to make it work. Ultimately, um, it only traces people if they've got it on and therefore can only be effective. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, a couple of things that struck me from that, actually. Um, I, I, not I noticed Helen obviously keeps a close eye on her iPhone and uh, noticed that that uh, setting was now on the um, uh, download, well, the health data setting was on there. There has been a sort of a fake news thing going around the internet that the NHS app has already been forcibly loaded onto people's phone, which has started as a rumour because that's happened. Uh, but uh, that's inherent in the Google Apple technology is it's actually part it's not actually an app. It's actually part of the operating system of the phone itself. Um, 
which then um, governments or other organizations can build an app on top of to actually handle the the actual um, processing if you like of that data um, Helena also mentioned um, uh, um, sort of pubs and clubs are probably going to have to start collecting information um, a lot of that is probably going to be done manually um, you know if people are having to sign in when they go to the pub and leave contact details this is in the UK but I believe it's happened in other countries such as New Zealand uh, and that's your data protection just isn't about computers so uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of issues there and we might try and get to that in a future podcast um, just to, to, to move on, I guess, I mean, Laura, uh, Laura, I just wanted to ask you a little bit. There is one case, isn't there, where a data protection authority has actually um, blocked an app. I think, was that in Norway? Yes, that's right. The um, Data Protection Commission has been very active there and uh, they looked at the app. They said uh, it was privacy invasive. They said uh, its use was disproportionate. Only some 600,000 people had used it. So... Uh, they, they said it was not appropriate and something similar has happened in Lithuania the DPA there suspended the development of the app because they said it just wasn't in compliance with the GDPR principles okay so I guess um, yeah that's uh, some fairly basic data protection mistakes there I mean uh, just to broaden it out a little bit, I mean, we're not all developing apps for the National Health Service or uh, other governments. I mean, uh, Helena, from your experience at, at sort of boardroom level or even mm. with app developers, have you ever sort of walked into the room and they've got a, an idea that's going to change the world or make a lot of money? And then they, they sort of ask you the data protection question and you start answering and they sort of start rolling their eyes and... Mm. Has that ever happened to you? Or? I, think you, I think you've been in my meetings, Tom. Um, yeah, so, so um, yeah, you're right. I, I think what happens with developers, and there have been a number of papers on this, actually, is that often the developers who are very skilled and the engineers, very skilled individuals, come up with great ideas and, you know, um, cutting-edge, bleeding-edge technology, and then at the end of their development look to get privacy or data protection input and it's almost too late then because the privacy aspects haven't been baked into the design and i know this is it sounds very critical of developers and, and engineers um the ones i've worked with i was surprised that it wasn't included in their you know computer science degree for example uh, i was hoping that it, it would be because it's so fundamental an issue um so so my recommendation is always to do a data protection impact assessment during the development of a, a new app or new piece of technology website so many things to think about now that, that a dpia will help the step-by-step -step guide to getting the the privacy baked into um, the technology and Kovukin will be very happy at that point <laughs> um, the privacy by design is is really key so I, my, part of my role uh, in the past has been to educate developers and and engineers as to what they need to think about when they are developing these apps um, and technologies. There's actually a really interesting example from the Netherlands in terms of um, tracing app development because over there the government opened up a competition for developers. They received 750 proposals even though there's a very short time scale to put in those proposals. They then shortlisted seven of them but Interestingly, all seven failed the privacy and security aspects that were required. So 
that shows you that this kind of thing takes time. Of course, we don't now have the time, which is um, worrying in many respects. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? That, that I guess privacy for this as well, in particular, it's almost for me, it's, it goes without saying this privacy is one of the most important things with the with the app. Um, you're collecting data. So that's yes, the first thing. I'm in agreement with the DPAs. I think they've been on the whole very pragmatic saying that, of course, privacy is what they care about, but it's not an absolute right. And, and the, in this situation, we have so many other things to consider um obviously public health being number one but but there are others so um i'm quite impressed how they've said the basic gdpr principles do apply we just have to look at them in this particular setting and how we can apply them yeah no you're right the greater good i suppose um has to be it's all a balancing isn't it and i think i see that in gdpr and in many different aspects under the legitimate interests you know you always balance rights and freedoms of individuals against the need for the processing and here it feels like there's a public good obviously to eradicate the disease yeah i mean i'd like probably like to come in there just on a almost a personal point I mean quite often you you end up in these discussions where data protection seen as sort of a a limiting factor or a you know a a constraint on design or development but uh, this is a classic situation where good design uh, good data good data design and good uh, data protection is actually enhances the product because the fundamental thing is that people need to be confident in it like these apps are almost voluntary, voluntary almost everywhere, and people have to want to download it and to actually believe that their data has been treated fairly and reasonably and safely, and and things like purpose limitation applies. So there's a there's a there's a, a fairly strong reason for having data protection to the forefront in this sort of situation, just to inspire confidence in people to actually use the things. I mean, there's been quite low take up in these apps, hasn't there, um, Laura, across. Uh, some countries like even singapore i think the take up was quite low there 15 20 percent or something like that yeah i mean in europe austria was the first country to release an app i don't know how widely it's been deployed or or accepted but um it just shows you things can be done very quickly if um, different parties cooperate but yes in the uk as i said we're still far behind uh, france has now launched an app but only sort of a couple of weeks ago um in belgium there's a draft bill now because they are saying um there needs to be some extra safeguards such as a retention period which they are now proposing to be just three weeks so that's quite detailed information okay um just on on the technical side i mean we're talking largely about bluetooth apps here aren't we i mean uh, everyone's more or less everyone's gone Bluetooth and the sort of technical reasons from what I can gather for that are it's it's relatively low power consumption um, but it is it is it's never really been used in this way before which is 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 why Google and Apple have had to re- sort of release operating system updates to to do various things which one of which is to actually keep Bluetooth alive a bit more on the phones because it does tend to go to sleep so there are obviously big technical challenges there um, there are a few sort of variations on this. I mean, South Korea is generally seen as the sort of uh, poster country when it comes to sort of managing COVID outbreaks, but they've got quite an intrusive sort of setup there. They're, they're not just looking at 
uh, I think apps are a very small part of it. They download mobile phone data and credit card records and those sorts of things. There must be some, um, I mean, would that actually work in a, in a more European, uh, Eurocentric sort of GDPR environment, Helena? That, that pose all sorts of problems, wouldn't it? It does. I think, I think because of the culture of GDPR and the, the nature of what we expect as individuals, um, particularly in, in countries like Germany, perhaps, where, um, well, all over Europe, actually, we, we consider our data sacrosanct and it, we own that. And therefore, if the South Korean model were implemented, I think there would be huge campaigns against um, our for protecting our civil liberties. Um, again, I saw interviews of, of individuals in South Korea who um, recognised, so they were very transparent, you know, they recognised the fact that their data was being taken and what data was being taken, so the authorities were transparent. Um, and most of the interviews I saw were, the individuals were kind of comfortable with that on the basis that it was um, limited in, in duration and it was for the greater good it was to um for the public health and so i think individuals are looking at that balance um and i think it's very cult it is a cultural issue i don't know if laura do you have any views of how europeans might react i think it's really it's the question of trust isn't it and uh, trust in government on the whole i think in countries such as in scandinavia where citizens very much trust very much but, but more than here i would say they trust the authorities they trust the government so if there is some advice they tend to abide by it whereas i think in the uk people are very critical and very suspicious of everything that's put to them and privacy has been so much on the table in various different contexts just even before this people have become very aware of their data rights and, and the threats that are there because of all the data breaches we've seen in a few years. So everybody's become more aware and more educated about these issues. Yeah. And on the front page, as Tom was mentioning, is uh, of one of the newspapers today is all about the big privacy concerns when we go past lockdown. So so the media is, is highlighting um, the privacy issues, the data breaches, you know, not a day goes by without a data breach, I guess, being in the media. Although I notice it, we notice it because we're privacy um, professionals, I guess. But yeah, I think there is a difference in approach. I think you're right. Well, I think in a in a in a positive way. I mean, when I, when I actually saw the Google um, specification come out and had to read through it. Um, I was actually really impressed that someone that that's not that's not a bolt on that's not a you know it's actually someone's thought if we enable this technology on our phones it okay most people will use it for good but there is a lot of potential there that it could be used for I don't know tracking all sorts of things so we're really going to tie this down and we're really going to build privacy into it so I think that's a, a positive sign that that sort of in a way the GDPR principles and the earlier privacy by design principles, like Helena, Helena said, uh, are starting to sort of gain, gain global traction, aren't they? Which I think is a positive thing. That's really great. It might be um, the start of many other technology companies, you know, using privacy as a guiding light. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a nice thought anyway. So, I mean, we're getting fairly close to, to, to wrapping up now. So uh, unless there's any other major points you'd like to throw in there? Uh, Helena, uh, can we follow you on social media or? 
Yeah, please do. I am uh, Helena Wooten on Twitter. And so, yep, yeah, I know I will be, I post updates and my views on, on the latest. And Laura, I know you're uh, active on Twitter. So could you give us out your contact details there? Yes, my handle is uh, Laura Lincomiers on Twitter and also on LinkedIn. So very happy to engage in conversations with our listeners. Uh, I have to confess, I'm the world's worst social media person, so you can probably find my MySpace page somewhere. But uh, <laughs> um, we're always available with uh, the Privacy Laws and Business channels. So uh, we've got uh, at Privacy Laws on Twitter, and um, you can find more about Privacy Laws and Business, uh, our consultancy services and publications, and our free news service, which will help you keep up with this sort of thing. Uh, that's on our website at privacylaws.com. So I'd just like to thank you all for listening and uh, subscribe to our podcast. We've got some, uh, some good ideas coming up. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>